Well, it's great to be here today. I see rose petals all over the floor, so there must have been a wedding in here. Uh, found the vows, Brian's vows from the wedding yesterday. It says here that he vows to continuously uh, listen and attempt to make you happy, even though I will win at banana games, cards, and Scrabble. Uh, that was his vows. Uh, yesterday we had a, a great wedding here in White Plains. TJ and Caitlin got married. We may have some visitors here. I know Richard Fields is visiting. Samantha's here. Uh, Richard and Samantha are in the Queen's ministry. Richard was in the ministry here in uh, Westchester for many, many years and uh, served in powerful ways on campus and, and other things. It's uh, just great to see everybody here. Uh, yesterday, uh, I prayed with the groomsmen that uh, there wouldn't be any mistakes that happened. Um, but as I was praying, I knew that you, you know, usually in each wedding there's some faux pas, something happens. So I went ahead and prayed also that, God, if there are things that do happen, help them to be really funny. I, I wasn't planning on being a part of that plan. Um, as I stood there with TJ and Caitlin starts coming down the aisle, the, the emotions, the energy was so palpable, I was feeling very emotional for TJ. And uh, so, you know, at the moment that Dawn was there, Caitlin's dad, Dawn, there to give her away, and I'm the one asking who's supposed to be doing this. And I just got caught up in the moment with TJ, and so I said, the first words out of my mouth during the whole ceremony were, who gives this man to be wed to? I don't know. God would have it. He wanted that to happen, I guess. Um, we well, yeah, actually, this is a serious talk today on love. It's called Love Test. Uh, in a world of deteriorating trust, is Jesus' love relevant? Well, that's a fair question. I know that we're quick to defend. I know we're quick to answer the question from our head. But do we really know the answer? Because honestly, it depends on your definition of love. And if we are really truthful, it depends on Jesus' definition of love, whether Jesus' love is relevant in the world today. So we're going to go ahead and look at Jesus' definition of love in the book of Luke. You can turn over to Luke chapter 10. I'm hoping that you can actually follow along in your Bible. I do have some of the scriptures up on the screen, but I wasn't able to put all the scriptures up on the screen. But I think it would be worth it to actually have an open Bible, or I guess right now you can't even say open Bible, open phone, open text, open. I guess you don't say open. Do yeah, I guess you say open, right? Anyway, find it. Bible, cell phone, whatever. Uh, find Luke chapter 10, and we're going to look at Jesus' definition of love. And it really is the love litmus test. And so as we look at Luke chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 25 through 29 to begin with, we're going to answer, we're going to look at these things. We're going to look at the question. We're going to look at the other question. We're going to look at the definition, Jesus' litmus test definition. And then we're going to look at our question that we either ask or should be asking. So let's go ahead and jump in. 
let's, let's look at the question. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25, says on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, this is a fair question. Uh, it's a question that we ask or should ask. Uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to get to heaven? We know there's more to life than this. We know this life is going to end. And so it does matter to us what happens in the next life. And so we ask this question. What's interesting is who's asking the question here? It's, it's an expert in the law is asking Jesus how to get to heaven. That does seem a little odd, doesn't it? Except to know that the reason he asked the question was to test Jesus. Why was he trying to test Jesus on something that should be pretty basic? How do you get to heaven? He's, you know, an expert in the law is asking this. It looks kind of ridiculous in a sense. But Jesus got around the test because what he did was he just turned it right around and asked him a question, a counter question. And he said, what is written in the law? He replied, He's asking an expert in the law after all. So, hey, what's written in the law? You should know. You're an expert. How do you read it? How do you interpret it? What do you think? What's your, what's your takeaway message from the law? So we put it right back on him. Well, the man answered, the expert answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And... Love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. So, case closed. End of sermon, right? It should have been. The question was asked. The answer was given, right? But something was going on in the heart of this expert that Jesus was picking up. He could sense something else was happening here because what happened was it didn't end with the question. What happened was there was a, another question. So we got to look at that other question that was asked because this should have been the end of the conversation, but it wasn't. And the rest of the conversation was much deeper than the first part of the conversation. So let's look at this other question that was asked. This is Luke chapter 10 and verse 29. The other question. The expert in the law wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So he wanted to justify himself, huh? So he knew that there was a question about who is the neighbor. I guess he wanted to know because he wanted to make sure either that he was loving the right people or that he didn't have to love the other people but he knew that there was something that he needed to figure out and for him to feel secure. So he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? I guess it mattered to him who is his neighbor. He wanted to figure out who do I need to love? Who do I not need to love? And I want to get to heaven, so I need to know. Tell me who the people are. Uh, he maybe secretly thought, I hope it's not too many. Um, I'm a busy guy. Well, it's interesting that Jesus didn't turn this answer back on him and ask him to answer it himself. I guess Jesus knew that the man couldn't answer this question. The condition of this guy's heart was such 
that he wasn't going to be able to answer this question, who is my neighbor? Because he was thinking so much about himself and what he had to do and didn't have to do that he was getting so caught up in the legalism of it all that there was no way he was going to be able to answer this from a godly perspective. Um, well, this expert in the law is not going to get around this test, is he? Jesus knew something was wrong in this guy's heart. And, uh, you know, I think maybe even this guy knew that something was wrong with his heart. I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe he knew. Maybe he didn't know. But Jesus wasn't going to let him off the hook if that indeed was what Jesus was thinking. But the definition may startle us because the definition isn't very easy. It's a deep definition. It's a definition that should get to the heart of each listener. It's put in the context, some might say, of a parable, but it could very well be an actual story that happened in Jesus's time or maybe before Jesus's time. Jesus knew all things, of course, and he knows all hearts. And so Jesus's desire in loving all people was to include this expert in the law that may have had a very bad heart. And love this guy and say, I want to help this guy out. I want him to know who, who, the, who the neighbors are. Who is my neighbor? Who do I need to love? Who do I need to pay attention to? So let's look at this definition uh, that Jesus uses of love. The litmus test. What is love in Jesus' eyes? So it says in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, Bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? This might have been a test. I'm not sure. It's a good question. It kind of answers the man's original question or the second question, the other question, who is my neighbor? Jesus is basically saying, who is the neighbor? Who of the three was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is Jesus's definition of love. Classic, using an illustration we could all explain back then. Nearly everyone knew, nearly everyone knew the road that leads down from Jerusalem to Jericho, or in the case of many, many Jews, the road that went from Jericho up to Jerusalem, because the Jews, of course, had to appear before the Lord at the temple three times per year. And so because the Galileans would walk around Samaria to get to Jerusalem. They had to go through the Jordan Valley and then up the road to Jerusalem. So let, let, let's talk about 
this definition. Let, let's go into a little bit of detail here to see exactly what Jesus is trying to get our hearts to understand today. Let's go back 2,000 years. Let's talk about the road. Let's go some details about the road. I have a picture of the road. Now, this isn't the modern road. This is just an ancient road they found between Jerusalem and Jericho. This is a quite a journey. Teresa and I have been to Israel and we've traveled on this road by bus. And I thought we were going to run off the road. I didn't know that Israel allowed buses to go that fast around corners or to produce more brake smoke than I've ever smelled in my life. Um, this is 3,300 feet in a matter of a few miles. That's, that's more than the altitude of going from the Adirondack Loge to the top of Mount Marcy, if anybody has been on the, in the Adirondacks. And of course, as men, we, how many people have done Marcy? Yeah, a bunch of us. I mean, can you imagine doing that in just a few miles, even more than that? It's, it's pretty intense. This is a dangerous road. It's called the way of the blood. Literally, the Jews of that day called it the way of the blood. Because everybody got robbed. Everybody was alone. They'd be going down this road and there were all these ravines and places to hide. And so robbers would hide in these places and go out and mug people and beat them up and leave them half dead, which is what happened in this case. So it's a dangerous place to begin with. The robbery. There was a robbery that took place on this road, Jesus said. So let's look at this. Uh, this is uh, right here in Luke chapter 10 and verse 30. The robbery in reply. A man was going down rather from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Half dead. What does that mean? It means you're not conscious. You're half dead. You're breathing, but that's it. You're not really living. You're just breathing. Your body is existing, but the rest of you isn't functioning. Can't speak, can't move, can't do anything. So this guy's condition was, was pretty bad. So God said, wow, let's send help. Let's send the best help we have. So who did he send? Well, he sent a priest and he sent a Levite. Let's read this. Uh, it says in verse 31, it says a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So who'd God send? He sent the best. He sent a priest and a Levite. What were the priests and the Levites all about? Well, God appointed the priests and the Levites. The priests were a subset of the Levites, the tribe of Levi. They were appointed by God to serve in the temple, to really serve God. But mainly, it was to be a bridge between the people of Israel and Jehovah God, the great Yahweh, the great I Am. And so God appointed these men to this tribe and these men to bridge the relationship between the Israelites and God himself. The priest was required to act as a mediator. This was an appointed role. They weren't, it wasn't a suggestion. They were appointed as mediators. The priests were to act as an ambassador, a chosen vehicle through whom God had uh, wanted to be represented. The Levites, too, they served in the temple. They, they served singing psalms during temple services, performing construction, maintenance for the temple, serving as guards, um, performing other services. They served as teachers and judges. 
And what's really cool is they were in charge of maintaining the cities of refuge in biblical times. You see, God allowed, for instance, if you murdered someone, you could be put to death. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But God allowed the Levites to have these cities of refuge where if you did commit a horrendous sin, you could actually go to a city of refuge and be protected. As long as you didn't leave the city, you could be protected within the city uh, from uh, from being killed. And so the Levites were there just to demonstrate God's mercy. Let me show you about God. So basically, the priests and the Levites were there to teach the people about God, to say, this is who God is. Look at what we do. Look at how we are, because you can see us as representatives of God. So God's choice proved to not work. The Levite came by, the priest came by, and who knows what they were thinking, but I'm sure they were making excuses. I'm sure they were both thinking the same thing. If I stop and help this guy, what's going to happen to me? So God sent them to represent him, and instead, in this opportunity where they were going to represent God, and they were going to be God to this poor guy that got all beat up and was, was half dead, instead, thinking about God, they were thinking about, well, what's going to happen to me? This is a dangerous situation. This neighborhood isn't safe. Those robbers might still be there. Maybe the man was faking it. You know, in these parts, you can't trust anybody. Somebody's going to come up to you, you know, and be really nice and rob you. You know, you've got to be careful. You've got to protect yourself. Things are dangerous around here. I'm sure they were thinking these things. You know, I'm sure the priest could have said, well, I need to stay pure. Funny about it, he was coming from Jerusalem to Jericho. He already did his service, so I'm not quite sure. But, you know, when you're looking for excuses, you find them. When you're looking for ways to not serve or, or things that are uncomfortable, you know, we tend to comfort ourselves by nonsense in God's eyes just to help ourselves feel a little bit better. And that's what they were doing. You know, it's a tragedy. I mean, here God gave these men roles to do. He gave them an opportunity to assist. Um, and they just they completely missed it. They just missed God's heart entirely. Uh, so much for their role in the service of God. Tragedy. So God sent another, didn't he? Thankfully, the priests and the Levites weren't the only people walking down the road. Thankfully, there was another guy walking down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Uh, this man was not chosen by God to serve in any way whatsoever. Uh, he actually was a man that was excluded from the temple area. He was a man excluded from service in, in God's kingdom. This man was a mixed race of Gentile and Jew. He was hated by the Jews. His race was called Samaritan. The Jews hated them. At one point, the Samaritans had desecrated the temple, but the Jews' hatred for the Samaritans had gone way back beyond that, before that. And so there was this relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans that was horrible, just horrible, horrible relationship. Uh, the Jews treated the Samaritans like dogs, and of course, naturally, the Samaritans didn't just trust the Jews at all. 
People in, in, in Nazareth would go and all of, all of that area of northern Israel would go way out of their way to, to not even walk through the land of the Samaritans. Of course, Jesus was a radical. He walked right through Samaria. He would talk to Samaritans. One time he sat down with a Samaritan woman, talked to her. The apostles were astonished that he was doing it. But to Jesus, everybody is God's child. So, of course, Jesus is going to talk to a Samaritan. What's that all about? Well, anyway, that's that's how the Jews looked at Samaritans at that at that point. Uh, The Jews would do just about anything to avoid contact with them. So here this this guy comes down the road, this Samaritan comes down the road and he sees this beat up Jew. So the priest had passed by this guy, the Levite had passed by by this guy. And the Samaritan, he came and, and how did he feel about it? Let's go back and read this, how uh, how he felt. You know, it says the first thing it says was he took pity. It says in verse 33, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Why would this Samaritan help a Jew? You know, this guy must have gone to Jerusalem for some business purposes because Jerusalem wasn't a good place to go for Samaritans. It was a pretty dangerous, nasty, abusive place to go for a Samaritan. So he he probably was doing business there. How was he treated in Jerusalem on his business trip? Well, you can only imagine. Here's a Samaritan businessman in Jerusalem conducting business, and the Jews hate him. I think that trip was was really nice. He's probably very tired. He came to this beat-up Jew. I don't know what he was thinking before he took pity on him, but my guess is he thought some natural thoughts anyone would think if they were just abused in Jerusalem and them coming down and they're seeing one of the abusers lying in the road all beat up. He's thinking, well, that's what I felt like up there. His turn. He was busy. Samaritan was busy. He was probably tired. He he was a smart guy, I'm sure. He knew that that area had robbers. This guy got beat up. He knew that the robbers could still be there waiting to beat him up. He knew that the guy lying there all beat up. It could be a trick. Could be. He might have thought the thought, if I go over and help this guy, what's going to happen to me? But Jesus doesn't say any of that. Jesus simply says when he saw the guy all beat up, he took pity on him. He thought about himself. You know, the deepest form of pity is not feeling sorry for that the guy that's all beat up, but Picturing yourself all beat up and relating, having empathy and saying, that could be me. How would I want to treat me? This is how Jesus defines love. It's not service. It's heart. It's not doing 
It's becoming. It's not tears. It's action. It's getting out of our comfort zone to do something so radically dangerous that it makes no sense. Except that that is me. That guy is me. I am that guy. And let me love my neighbor as myself. Jesus defines this type of love as crossing the road despite the dangers, despite the hatred, despite the fear. It's to care for others in the same way that we want to be cared for. And boy, did he do that. He took pity on him. What's the next thing he did? He bandaged his wounds. You know, I'm, I don't, this guy was not a wealthy guy. How do we know that? How do we know that this Samaritan was not wealthy? Because no one that's wealthy coming from Jerusalem to Jericho travels alone. If you're going from Jerusalem to Jericho, you hire people to keep you safe. It's a whole lot cheaper to hire a bunch of guys to keep you safe than to get robbed and lose everything you have. And so he wasn't wealthy. So he had to rip his clothes to produce bandages for this guy. He had to pour on oil and wine, very expensive commodities 2,000 years ago. Wine, of course, was an antiseptic. The alcohol would purify anything in the wound and the oil was a balm to protect olive oil as a healing agent. So he took his own wealth and spent it on a man he did not know. He put the man on his donkey, because obviously the man couldn't walk, couldn't talk, probably wasn't conscious. He brought him to an inn. Why an inn? Because as a Samaritan going to, to Jericho, no one's going to take you into their house. Of course, Middle Eastern hospitality is very well known. You're going to eat until you gain a lot of weight. I hope that Dimitri doesn't mind me saying this, but when he came back from Lebanon, is he here? Is Dimitri in the audience? I don't think he'd mind me saying this. When he got back from Lebanon, he had gained a few pounds. I said, Dimitri, what happened? He goes, well, you know, Lebanese hospitality. I said, yeah, but... And then he told me about all the lambs that had been slaughtered and all the meats and all the... And he goes, but I had to eat. So, but for the poor Samaritan, there were no feasts there. He was in Jewish territory, and so he had to go into an inn. Well... It's hard to even find an inn to rent to a Samaritan. You have to pay premium prices to get an inn, but eventually money talks and he got an inn. You know, I'm sure that the innkeeper's like, oh, who's this guy I'll beat up? You beat up a Jew and you brought him here? You're guilty? You beat this guy up. But he didn't care what it looked like. He didn't care that he was being looked at funny for bringing a, a beat up Jewish guy into an inn. He spent the night with him. That's pretty remarkable. Spent the night with him. Not only that, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. A denarii is worth a day's wages. That's, that's a lot of money. You're taking out two days' wages to give to an innkeeper to take care of a guy that not only do you not know, but is traditionally an enemy. And then he said, what's amazing, he said, I will reimburse you any extra expense you may have. So he planned on coming back. Why come back to an area... Where you're hated. 
It's amazing. He said, look after him. It's as if he cared. He really cared for this guy. Look after him. Here's two denarii. When I come back, I'm going to reimburse you for any extra expense. You know, the question is, whose life was changed more? The Samaritan or the Jew that got beat up? They both were. They both were. The Samaritan was called to an unbelievable level of compassion. And the Jew was called to an unbelievable level of forgiveness. It would take an immensely cold heart for the Jew to wake up, to heal, to recognize how he was saved and he's alive and not have a radically changed life. I can, can't even fathom how hard of a heart you'd have to have to not be intensely moved toward the man that saved your life despite the circumstances and the risks to his own. The uncomfortableness of what he did and the expense. Jesus changes lives. He doesn't just change one life. He changes all lives. And so I want to finish out with our question. Kind of have to ask, is Jesus serious? Kind of like the expert in the law. Well, who is my neighbor? Jesus, are you serious? Are you really serious about this? Jesus simply said, How do you read it? I mean, we can have arguments, but Jesus is just going to say to us, How do you read it? What do we need to do to inherit eternal life? Is Jesus serious? Well, of course he is. Who is my neighbor today? Is Jesus serious? How far are we willing to go to love? Because, of course, it starts in the church. Here's the beauty. Here's the good news. This is actually amazing news. That we have an opportunity that hardly anyone ever gets to live out Jesus' definition of love. Martin Luther King Jr. said that Sunday is the most segregated day of the week. And it's very true. But in the Westchester region, the New York City Church of Christ, we have people, as far as I know, I haven't counted in years, but as far as I can tell, last count we had people from over 14 different countries. I can't imagine we don't have people from over 20 at this point. So let's just say over 20. In this group, we have people from over 20 different nations. 
Do you know what that means? It means over 20 different cultures. But it means more than that because each nation has various cultures. In, in Kenya alone, there were 10 major cultures just in that country. In the United States, there are multiple cultures that we have. And now we combine that with people from literally all over the world right here. We have people here that grew up Muslim. We have people that grew up Hindu. We have people that grew up Jewish. We have people that grew up whatever. Right here in the room. What an opportunity we have. Wow. God is giving us this spectacular opportunity to love one another. To live out Jesus' definition of love. To be able to look at the other side of the road. To look on the other side of the hill. To look on the other side of the county. To look at Dutchess County. Or the Bronx. Or Fairfield. Or Putnam. Whether it's New Rochelle or South Salem. We have the opportunity in Westchester County to truly live out Jesus' command. Isn't that amazing? I'm excited. I'm really excited. You know, understanding one another is going to take some time. This is not an easy task. In some ways, well, I don't even know if I want to say in some ways. Let me just say this. For me, it's like people standing on multiple sides of a wall. Let's say it's, it's a cube. Or, well, well, let's just say a wall. We'll just simplify it. It's a wall. And people on one side of the wall see that the wall is painted blue, and people on the other side of the wall see the wall is painted red, and they're having arguments about the wall. This is a blue wall. No, it's a red wall. No, it's a blue wall. No, it's a red wall. No, it's a blue wall. And we're going to argue all day about what color the wall is. The only way we're going to understand is to say, hey, why don't you come visit the other side of the wall? And when we do visit the other side of the wall, we recognize, oh, my goodness, it's red or it's blue or it's orange or it's purple or it's pink or whatever. The only way we're going to truly be able to love one another, the only way we're truly going to have that compassion and that pity, the only way we're going to truly be able to bond is to start visiting wall, the different sides of the walls. Do we know what other disciples struggle with? Do we know their sacred stories? What their cultural values are? You know, I'm not ready for this message either, but I'm doing it anyway. A few days ago, man, I want to get through this. A few days ago, I heard two stories. I'll just say that changed my life. You know, I've lived in different cultures. I lived in Brazil for three years and I love the Brazilian culture. It's just so, it's just a beautiful culture. And I've lived in Africa and I, I, I love the culture of Africa. I just loved it. It was just amazing. I grew up in a very monothematic culture in Montana on a ranch. There's not a lot of diversity on a ranch. You've got cows and sheep and ducks and goats and, th- and horses. But people-wise, 
It's kind of creepy because they all look like me. When I go to Minneapolis to board the plane to Montana, I look around and it, it's, it, it, I, feel, I feel creeped out because everybody looks like me. It's just weird. People are like, don't you want to live in Montana? It's so beautiful. It's so awesome. And I'm like, it would be so boring. I hate to say that. It's where I grew up. But I just need diversity. But I was so humbled the other day by two stories. And I won't tell you who told them, but they told stories about their culture, about their sacred story. They told sacred stories about things that have happened to them that... At the one story, I truly believed I hadn't heard straight, even though I knew I had heard the words. And so I had to get clarification. And I just thought, I am out to lunch. I have so little understanding of what certain cultures go through in the United States. I have more understanding of what a Kikuyu goes through in Nairobi than I do what people in this church go through right here in Westchester County. And I thought, man, I got to change. It just, it really humbled me. And I went back to the Good Samaritan and, and, and I said, can we, can I do this? And Jesus, of course, answers, Absolutely. Absolutely you can. You know, Jesus is so radical. He's so radical. He says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Jordan McLeod, missionary to Israel, he's, he's, he calls himself a Jamaican because he's half Jewish and half Jamaican. So he calls himself a Jamaican. Um, he became a Christian in uh, the Manhattan ministry, in the daytime ministry. And he uh, started the church, helped start the church in Jerusalem and he was reaching out to um, Palestinians that became uh, Palestinians became Christians as well. But he was reaching out to other Palestinians. So there's no way there's no way. And um, other Palestinians said, well, I am a Christian. I am a Christian. He would sit down with these Palestinians and Palestinians and say, do you love your enemy? He would sit down with Messianic Jews. And say, are you truly a Christian? Do you love your enemy? It all boils down to loving your enemy, doesn't it? And we can definitely love one another. Is Jesus serious? Yeah. But we got to cross the road. You know, we have a lot of reasons why this is going to be difficult. We have a lot of close friendships in the church. People are like, I don't have time for more friendships. I don't have time to have dinner in another part of the county. I don't, I mean, these are things that we think or say. And, you know, I have to say, you don't, you can't afford not to take the time to love one another. We cannot afford to not take the time to cross the road and to broaden our friendships and our relationships. Well, I don't know how to cross the street. Maybe you don't, but there are members here that will help you cross the street. There are disciples there that will grab your hand and with patience and love show you the other side of the street. 
Well, I, I have trouble trusting. Jesus will help you. Jesus will help you to trust. You know, the Good Samaritan is really about Jesus. It's about Jesus' sacrifice. That we are the Jew that's been beat up and lying half dead. We've been beat up by life. We've been beat up by circumstances. We've been beat up by sin. And we're half dead. And Jesus has come down the road and he has seen us there half dead. And Jesus, as abused as he was in Jerusalem, as beaten up and rejected as he was, got off his donkey and reached down and picked us up. Jesus has put us on his donkey and led him to a place that he wasn't welcomed and nursed us back to strength. We are the priests and the Levites that God has appointed to serve others. We can never neglect. We must always serve. So I want to leave us with a question today. And that is, what is the litmus test for Westchester County? How does Jesus define love your neighbor for us today in Westchester County? Because we have an amazing opportunity here in Westchester County to bridge the gaps, to serve one another and love one another, to learn more deeply about every culture in the church and to just celebrate and rejoice about every single person. And finally, what are you going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? And what are you personally going to do about it? Amen.